My friends, I'd like to invite you now to turn for the message to 2 Samuel in your Bible. That's towards the beginning of the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13, please. And as you are turning, I'd like to invite our radio listeners to come and join us for our wonderful Mother's Day service on Sunday, May the 8th. Coming up soon at 11 o'clock, the message will be a tribute to mothers, and we're so grateful to have Donette Thompson Hall ministering in song. She is such a gifted soloist, musician, and we'll have a wonderful praise and worship time together as we have been experiencing today. And at the end of the service, we will bless every woman beyond high school age with a wonderful, fantastic, beautiful, tasty gift. <laughs> and that tasty gift will be either a box of Tetley tea, 72 tea bags in the box, or a beautiful Maxwell House original roast coffee. So uh, to all of you here in the sanctuary, ladies, you can look forward to your gift. You can decide Pray about what you're going to take as a gift. And don't say, I want both or all three. <laughs> and for our guests on that Sunday, we will also have one of these gifts for our guests on Mother's Day. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, my friends, in last week's message... We learned about the rape, the rape of Tamar in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Today we're going to discover some very important, helpful truths for your, your life and mine from the rebel, the rebel. Now some of you are thinking, oh, that's you. Or some of you are thinking, oh, I've had a rebel in my life or in my family, Pastor Nick. Well, there were several rebels in the Bible. And one of them is spoken of here in 2 Samuel chapter 13 to 18. Does anyone know what his name is as yet? Well, you're going to find out. You're going to find out in just a moment the rebel that we especially are going to focus on today is Absalom. Absalom, A-B-S-A-L-O-M. But as we study his life and as we study what happened in these chapters, one of the truths that begins, one of the truths that begins to surface and stand out is this one. This first truth is this. Read it with me from the big screen. Be careful not to think that you have a right to do what you want, if you want, when you want, how you want. It wasn't just Absalom who tended to think that way, even before we get to him. Ammon, or Amnon, lived like that. Amnon was uh, one of King David's sons 
who thought that he could do what he wanted, if he wanted, when he wanted, and how he wanted. And the result was that Amnon raped his own dear sister, and that was the focus of the message last week. He raped Tamar. Terrible, terrible, terrible action. And the sad events are described in 2 Samuel chapter 13, 1 to 21. But not only did Amnon have this rebel mentality, but his brother Absalom was probably even worse. Absalom lived like that as well. Absalom thought that he could, he could uh, do what he wanted, if he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted, and all of that. Absalom. Now here's why I say that about Absalom. Two years, two years after Amnon raped Tamar, Absalom planned Amnon's murder as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 23 to 29. Obviously, Amnon had done a very wrong and terrible thing in raping Tamar. But it was even more wrong, more wrong for Absalom to kill his own brother, or anyone, in fact. Amnon certainly deserved punishment, but killing him was not the answer. After Absalom killed his brother, Absalom was smart enough to run. He was smart enough to flee up north into Geshur, G-E-S-H-U-R, near Syria. So Absalom fled. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 38, tells us he stayed in Geshur for three years, during which time at least some of the anger towards him would have subsided to some extent. Some of the anger would have subsided on account of him killing his brother. Now, despite killing his brother, Absalom's father, King David, missed him a lot. His father missed him greatly. And 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 39 says, And King David longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Then there's a man named Joab who enters the picture. Joab, who was the commander of David's army, realized how much the king longed to see Absalom and so in 2 Samuel chapter 14, Joab developed a plan for Absalom to return to Jerusalem from Geshur, from up north. Joab worked out a, a, a deal, you might say, in order for this son that was being very much missed by the king to finally get back down to Jerusalem. It, it seems like on the one hand, King David had been un unwilling to discipline or punish Absalom for killing his own brother. At the same time, King David missed him and was pleased to have him move back to Jerusalem. On the other hand, 
It seems like King David had a a tough time facing his son, understandably so, wouldn't you say? King David had a tough time facing his son because, after all, he had killed one of his other boys, one of his other sons. And 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 24 says, But the king, the king gave this order. As Absalom was moving back to Jerusalem from Geshur, from up north, the king gave this order. He said, Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. He was missing him terribly, but he still said he can never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. Now, continue to follow the story here. I'm going through a a lot of material from the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 28 tells us that Absalom lived in Jerusalem for two years, two years, but he never got to see the king. So now about five years had passed since he had killed his brother. Now, I, I suspect that during those years, King David, his father, was wrestling with how to respond to a son who killed one of the other sons. How does a man, how does any father deal with that? How does any father, king or, 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 or not, how do you wrestle with, how do you deal with something like that? It's tough for anybody. And by the way, at this point, Absalom was not a teenager. He wasn't... Um, the little guy, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 27, tells us that he himself had, had three sons and one daughter. Now, I want you to again see how Absalom had this, um, he had this, I'll do what I want, if I want, when I want mentality. Okay, I want you to see this. After not being allowed to see his father, King David, for two more years, Even though he now lived in Jerusalem, not far from his father, notice what Absalom did. Notice what Absalom did in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 29. I want you to notice what what Absalom did here. 2 Samuel 14, verse 29. Then Absalom sent for Joab to ask him to intercede for him, that is, to try to set up a meeting with his father. But Joab refused to come. Absalom sent for him a second time, but again, Joab refused to come. So Absalom said to his servants, watch this. He said to his servants, go and set fire to Joab's barley field, the field next to mine. So they set his field on fire as Absalom had commanded. Then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, Why did your servant set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, Because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Geshur if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned Absalom who came and bowed low before the king and the king kissed him. Now I want you to, th- I want you to think, think what happened there. 
Absalom gave the order to set fire to Joab's barley field. Now, there is no doubt, there is no doubt that, that uh, Absalom got Joab's attention, but I want you to think about this. Think about it. Who, who in their right mind sets a field on fire that belongs to the commander of the armies of the king? Think about it. Who in their right mind sets the fields on fire, especially the fields that belong to the man who's in charge of the military? Would you do that? Joab did that, or rather, Absalom did that. He, he ordered for, jo, for Joab's fields to be set on fire. It, it, it's crazy. In theory, Joab, Joab could have called thousands of his troops to attack Absalom and, and, and do him in for good. But obviously, Joab didn't do that. I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine the, the kind of emotional pain that King David must have gone through when, uh, when 2 Samuel 14.33 happened. 2 Samuel 14.33 happened. Think, think, of, think of the emotional pain that Absalom's father went through because verse 33 says, So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned Absalom who came and bowed low before the king and the king, that's his father, that's his dad, and the king kissed him. And the king kissed him. This is over five years after he killed his other son. Even though David kissed him, Absalom rejected his earthly father's love. And Absalom also rejected his heavenly father's love. Even though his father, the king, showed Absalom affection by kissing him, when the story goes on in 2 Samuel chapter 15, we discover that Absalom, Absalom sets in motion to overthrow his father as king and to make himself the king of the land. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 15, the second part of verse 9. Here's what it says. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, he sent Absalom asked, asked his father if he could go to Hebron. Hebron is where he was actually initially born and, and grew up to a certain extent. And he had a lot of buddies there. But verse 10, but while he was there in Hebron, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel. This is Absalom now. This is the son this is the son. He sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests. 
but they knew nothing of his intentions. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy, the conspiracy gained momentum. Verse 13, a messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. They're joining your son for a conspiracy against you. What do we see? Once again, we see, we see Absalom doing what he wanted, if he wanted, when he wanted, and how he wanted towards his own father, his own dad. I want to ask us this question. Are you like Absalom in some ways? Do you think you can do, do you think you can do what you want, if you want, when you want, how you want? If that's what you think, you are on a fast track towards self-destruction, as was Absalom. You need to change your thinking and change your ways before it's too late. Before it's too late. Absalom ended up dying a terrible death because his philosophy and his mentality was he felt he had the right to do what he wanted, if he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted. For him, there were no real guidelines and rules in his life. But it was all about him. It was all about me, 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 me. There's a second truth that struck me as I studied these passages, and I'm sure it strikes you as well. Second truth is this. Be willing to recognize your sin. Seek forgiveness and change your ways. This came to my mind when I read 2 Samuel chapter 14, the second part of verse 32, which says, let me, Absalom, let me see the king. That's his father, remember? Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, let him kill me. Think about it. Isn't it, isn't it hard to understand how a grown-up young man can say, if he finds me guilty of anything, knowing that a few years earlier, Absalom had deliberately killed his own brother. Of course Absalom had been guilty. Of course Absalom had been guilty of, of killing his brother, and, and yet he says, if the king finds, if the king finds me guilty of anything. What kind of a statement is that? Someone deliberately kills someone and then says, uh, if, if, 
anyone finds me guilty. King David's sins, the father, King David's sins took him away from God for a period of time, but repentance brought him back. In contrast, Absalom, his son, Absalom sinned and he kept on sinning. Absalom wasn't willing to say, he wasn't willing to say, I was wrong, please forgive me, I need forgiveness. My friends, God offers forgiveness, but we will not experience that forgiveness until we genuinely admit our sins and confess them to God. Amen? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 beautifully tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. The reason we can be forgiven, the reason we can be forgiven is because Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and your sins up in the balcony, for the sins of our radio listeners and for my sins. That's why we can be forgiven because God came to earth in the person of Jesus and died on the cross of Calvary and in so doing paid the full price. The full price, the full price for our sins. Praise be to his holy name for giving to us redemption through his blood. Amen. Amen. There's a third truth that... Uh, we must focus on as well, and it is this. The third truth is, decide to bring joy instead of pain to those who love and care about you the most. Think about it. Absalom brought a lot of pain to his father. I want you to notice how much King David loved his son, Absalom. After Absalom killed his brother and, and took off north for three years, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 13, verse 39 says, King David, despite all that happened, 2 Samuel 13, 39 says, King David longed to be reunited with his son, Absalom. I'm just wanting you to, to, to just grasp the incredible love of this father for his son, Absalom. When King David finally saw Absalom after not seeing him for five years, 2 Samuel 14, 33 says, we read it before, the king, what? The king kissed him. And when David's army was going into battle against Absalom's army, all right, when they went to war, David, David, the father, King David, gave this command. He said, for my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. He calls him young, and he was young, but still he had, he had, what was it, four children? Deal gently with young 
Absalom. Here, here this, this son, this son was doing everything he could to take the throne away from David. He was, he was going all out to kill David, his father. And David says, David says to his military people, he says, deal gently with young Absalom. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of his military people felt like saying, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Are you kidding, David? When you read the whole story, you, you discover that some of his military people were, were, in fact, fed up with David and his love towards his son. And then when, when King David got word, when King David got word that his son Absalom was eventually killed, 2 Samuel chapter 18, 33 says this. It says, the king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and he burst into tears. And as he wept, as he wept, he cried, he cried, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. If ever you're, one, you're wondering about an example from the Bible of a father loving his son, remember these words from 2 Samuel 18, 33. My son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. King David loved Absalom greatly. But instead, instead of being a joy bringer, Absalom was a joy breaker. He was a joy buster. Absalom tried to get rid of his father as king, and he tried to make himself the king. And in 2 Samuel 16, verse 11, King David says this. His own father says this. His dad, his dad says this. He says, my own son, my own son is trying to kill me, my own son. Here's a question, here's a question I want to ask us to, to really wrestle with and answer. Don't just, don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. Here's the question. Are you bringing joy? Are you bringing joy to those who love and care about you the most? Or are you a pain? Are you a pleasure or a pain? Don't say anything out loud. The problem, the problem with someone being a regular pain is that eventually, eventually, even those who love and care about you the most can become emotionally worn out and they might stop caring and perhaps even stop loving. I could go on and give you examples, but I won't. The point is, my friends, decide, decide to bring joy instead of pain to those who love and care about you the most. Will you do it?
Will you do it, congregation, here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene on the main level up in the balcony? Radio listeners, will you do it wherever you are, wherever you live? I was pleasantly surprised, by the way, this week, someone in Bowmanville told me they listen to the broadcast every week and the radio signal apparently is, is great where they live in Bowmanville. My friends, decide to bring joy instead of pain to those who love and care about you the most. If you need to make some small changes, do it. If you need to make some big changes, do it. Do it. Because time is passing. Time is passing. There's a fourth truth I, I want us to, to deal with, and it is this. It takes courage to stand and fight, to stand and fight, I put in brackets, verbally. It takes courage to stand and fight, but sometimes it takes more courage to back down for the sake of others. Is there an amen in the house? Good. Let's look at a part of the story where King David backed down. 2 Samuel chapter 15, beginning at verse 13. Why, why did King David initially back down? Think about this as I'm reading. 2 Samuel 15, verse 13. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once, or it will be too late, David urged his men. Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We are with you, his advisors replied. Do what you think is best. So the king and all his household set out at once. He left no one behind except ten of his concubines to look after the palace. The king and all his people set out on foot, pausing at the last house to let all the king's men move past to lead the way. There were 600 men from Gath who had come with David along with the king's bodyguard. All right. I want you to notice that at this point, David is, is backing away. He's backing down. Why did King David initially back down? Why did he and his men not, not stand and fight at that point? Here are probably some of the reasons. One reason is David, David didn't want innocent people in Jerusalem to be killed. Does that make sense? Yes. Another reason is David didn't want the city of Jerusalem to be destroyed. Good thinking, David. Another reason David realized that the rebellion was widespread and would not have been easily suppressed. Another possible reason, an obvious reason, David loved his son Absalom and he did not want to hurt him. He didn't want to hurt him. We know that David expected to return to Jerusalem soon after he left He was expecting to return. 
because he left 10 of his concubines to take care of the palace. So he was thinking, you know, I'm going to be back here soon. My friends, there are some situations in life, in your life and mine, where and when we should stand and fight verbally. I say verbally because I don't want you going away saying, Pastor Nick was telling us to go and fight physically and all that. All right? There are some situations in life where you and I should stand and fight verbally over an issue. I have learned, however, that, uh, that oftentimes it is best to back down, whether it is in regards to something at church or something, something with your husband or wife or mine or something with children or something at work. Haven't you learned that so often it's really better for everyone's sake to just, to just back down. For, for example, sometimes when, when I'm looking for a parking spot in a busy parking lot, I think I have found a parking space. I start to turn into the parking spot only to have someone step on the gas and rush in and, and take the spot that was supposed to be mine, had my name on it. Now, I could, have, I, could, I could have also stepped on the gas to get in that place, in that parking spot, ahead of the other person because I was closer to it. I could have stepped on the gas. But usually I back off and I smile at the other driver. And if their window's down, my window's down, I, I'll say, wish you a great day. <laughs> and I mean it sincerely. You know, it's not worth, it's not worth possibly having an accident over a parking spot. When I think, uh, when I think of the issue of finding a parking space, I, I can't help but recall a story that I read many years ago about an elderly lady and a young driver. This uh, wonderful elderly lady was just just about to go and park in this spot. The parking lot was very full. I think it was uh, around Christmas time, whatever. So anyway, this dear elderly lady was about to go into the parking spot and uh, a young man, probably in his 20s, a, a young man in a beautiful, brand new red sports car just, just quickly, just beat her to it. He just beat her to it before she could get her car in. And so she, um, she put, out, put down her window, and as he got out of the car, she said to him, she said, young man, what was that all about? That was my parking spot. What was that all about? He said, lady, I'm young, and I'm fast. I'm young, and I'm fast. Then he started to walk away. He got about 20 meters away. And as he's walking away, that elderly lady backed up her car, revved up the motor. She put the pedal to the metal and she, boom, she smashed into that, that 
beautiful red new sports car. Smashed into it. Obviously, the young man who was about 20 meters, yards away or whatever, he heard the bang and he turned around, turned around, saw what happened, saw that his car was in a mess. So he, he ran, he ran back, he ran back, ran back and said, said, Lady, what's that all about? What's that all about? She looked at him and said, Young man, What's that about? I'm rich, I'm old, and I'm bold. <laughs> that's what that's about. Do not go and do likewise, whether you are young or old. My friends, it takes courage to stand and fight, but sometimes it takes even more courage to back down for the sake of others and for your own sake. Amen? So here are the four truths today. Look at them. Which one or ones, which one is perhaps the most relevant to you? Which one? The first one, be careful not to think that you have a right to do what you want, if you want, when you want, how you want. Musicians, would you please come? Or the second one, be willing to recognize your sin, seek forgiveness, and change your ways. My friends, all of us need to come to that point where we recognize our sin, we, we confess our sins, and we repent of our sins, and we can be forgiven because the Son of God, Jesus, died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And so if as yet you have not repented of your sins, you haven't sought forgiveness from God, then today is the day to take that step of faith and, and change, change how you're living. With God's help, you can change. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Amen? For someone else, do you need to decide to bring joy instead of pain to those, to those who love and care about you the most? Listen, let that turn your life around for good. Would you stand? Would you stand? And for others of us, perhaps we need to remember that it takes courage to stand and fight. But sometimes, in fact, many times, it's more courageous to back down for your sake and the sake of others. Amen? As we sing this beautiful song, if you wish to spend some time in prayer, praying about a truth that especially is relevant to your life. You come, kneeling or standing around this altar, you come and pray. Or maybe you need to pray for someone in your life, whether it's a son or daughter, a mother or father, a brother or sister, a husband or wife. Maybe you need to pray. Pray that they're going to recognize their sin and seek forgiveness of sins.
and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you need to pray for him or her.